On today's episode, insulin in a pill, coffee for trees, and we get out on parole? All that more coming up. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Our Science. I'm your host Alan Collier and I'm joined today by Ian Black. Good evening, Alan. And Cowbine. Screw you, Alan. <laughs> okay, wow, that's uh, usually the opposite of what I expect from you two. I had to bring opposing energy. We're doing a Freaky Friday thing here. Yeah, Ian was too pleasant. I had to bring the mood down. Our first article this week comes from the Academic Times. Researchers come one step closer to insulin in a pill. We're talking about insulin, which means we're talking about diabetes. So we got to go into a little bit about what diabetes is. It's pronounced diabetes. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I wasn't sure it was going to be quite that quick. I knew it was coming. Well, we figured we'd just get it out of the way, so that way we don't have to make that joke again. I like. I don't want to get too much into into the science of diabetes because diabetes is something I think everyone's pretty familiar with in yeah. terms of like it's a it's a thing that affects a lot of people. It's got to do with your blood sugar, yeah, and it comes from a uh, your body's not producing enough insulin, or it doesn't is, produce it at all, depending on which type of diabetes you have. Which also would not be enough. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Zero is a not enough amount. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it... Your body needs to break down sugars, so your pancreas makes insulin to do it for you. And depending on which type of diabetes, I think they, they lay it out in the article, yeah. If you have type 1 diabetes, your pancreas is like, no, nah, I'm not making any of that insulin shit, and now you can't process any sugars. And if you have type 2, then uh, you just don't produce enough insulin, or you do produce insulin and your body is just like, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And it doesn't respond to it correctly. And in both cases, you get very sick, and it can be fatal because you can't break down the sugar in your bloodstream and you end up experiencing lots of sugar highs and sugar lows, which just just fucks with your body in a whole bunch of different ways. And it can be deadly and a lot of people have it. And some people are born with it and some people get it later in life. So so first of all, I'm glad we didn't explain what diabetes was. And yeah. second of all... Uh, <laughs> she did a really good job. I didn't think she did such a good job of it. No, no, you did a great job of it. But My mom I... is a diabetes nurse practitioner. If I didn't do it right, she would disown me. Since you since you've since you've clearly done some actual research, Kyle, I would I am I guess I can never remember which is the one that you can get and which is the one that's genetic. Let me double check that actually. I always thought type one was the genetic one, type two was you get. Because I thought type two was like you you fucked up your body so much with so many sugars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so type one is known as uh, often called juvenile di- diabetes because that is a it's a chronic genetic condition okay. that. So if, if a young person has diabetes, chances are it it's is type one. It's typically type one because that is it's just it's a genetic dysfunction of the pancreas where it does not produce insulin or it produces very little insulin. Whereas type two happens when you typically uh, happens later in life. If you have a really sugar high diet, you just basically stress your pancreas out to the point where it can't produce insulin or your body no longer recognizes the insulin it produces. Okay, follow-up question. Is craft dinner something that could cause this? <laughs> I I think, I think if you're you, I think you're fine. <laughs> if if you exclusively ate nothing but craft dinner for your entire life, maybe. But oh. you apparently started eating like vegetables <laughs> and stuff and we're very proud of you, Ian. So well done. Put your veg put the vegetables in the craft dinner. Well yeah, when I say I'm eating vegetables, I'm eating the craft dinner that claims it's made from cauliflower. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm sure that's gonna do a lot. Um, coming to the actual article, there's, there's something I think is really, really interesting that I didn't know about 
diabetes, specifically people who have it. And that is that there's, they kind of talk about like the difficulty of getting access to insulin, but mm-hmm. even the people who get access to it are often hesitant to take it because of the fear of the injection. Yeah. Which is yeah. something that makes so much sense, but like it's just not something I necessarily thought of. It's like it's yeah. it's a very rare disease in the sense that all of your medicine is self administered and it's an injection. Like that's the whole point of this, is that people are having to inject insulin into themselves to get it into the bloodstream, which is why I mean when I watch American TV you see a lot of ads for like insulin devices where you just give yourself a little prick to see what your blood sugar is and then you like another one to insert the insulin type thing. Uh, we don't have this so much in Canada because, you know, we have healthcare. <laughs> Diabetes is, well, the thing is, though, not all insulin and insulin, like, tools and pumps and stuff are covered under uh, OHIP and stuff. So diabetes is a very manageable disease, but a lot of people don't. And, like, the majority of the people my mom sees as a diabetes nurse practitioner are people who just, who don't manage their insulin because like they they constantly they have to constantly prick themselves to test and they don't want to just constantly keep like they're stabbing their finger multiple times a day uh they have to inject themselves and they like and in some cases there's other factors like mental health and and their ability to take care of themselves that like play into their ability to manage their diabetes but a lot of the times too there's people who just don't want to frequently stab themselves with insulin over and over again but but insulin can't be administered orally like there are medications that can help manage diabetes but they're not insulin ones and insulin's the most effective way but you can't administer it orally because it just it's it's a really sensitive compound and it just is destroyed by stomach acid and that's been the problem with trying to create an insulin pill in the past it was a yeah. great decision to have kyle on this specific episode i think yeah keep go keep it going kyle just <laughs> i'm just gonna sit back and yeah yeah you're done you're, you're killing this you're killing this i'm in a bit of a mood for sugar so <laughs> i mean, should be over here eating cookies yeah <laughs> yeah let us know when it's time for us to talk yeah we're good <laughs> no i was i was literally talking about this with my mom the other day though because like she she doesn't like disclose patient confidentiality information obviously but we she talks about her patients sometimes then well she, as long as you don't know the names i don't think it, i think oh it's no fine. she, she never nice. never tells me but she'll she'll come and tell me about patients that she has who just uh and a lot of times it's it's people who uh like she's had a few cases where it's people who are traveling in canada and they just like they don't know how to properly manage their their insulin and they end up in hospital and they're like i have no idea what to do i never actually been properly taught how to do these daily injections and how often do I do them and when am I supposed to do them do I do them before I eat or after I eat do I take my insulin before I eat dinner or after and it's different from person to person and so my mom's role is to sort of help people figure out their schedule to manage their diabetes but it's really challenging to do and and what kind of thing might make that easier I wonder Kyle (laughs) you know what might make that easier is if people could take insulin orally which is what they have uh the people who wrote this uh, basically did this study have figured out a way to do they figured out a way to essentially protect the insulin so that way when ingested by rats in this case it doesn't break down in the stomach and instead is actually not released until it encounters sugars in the bloodstream which is what insulin is meant to sort of break down and then it's a simple case of humans eating those rats and absorbing those uh, those insulin nutrients. I believe <laughs> that's, exactly that's how it works. Yes, why yes. would you Why would you want to inject yourself with insulin pumps when you can just eat a rat? Exactly. I mean, you're, you're, I'm already eating them. Yeah, <laughs> it's just more convenient. It's just a more convenient. Gotta spice way. up that craft dinner with something. It's. <laughs> 
Yeah, get lost cauliflower. So the whole point of this is to get uh, Kyle's mom out of a job and just make this in pill form because people understand pills. Yes. We're yeah. all used to pills. Yeah. Those beautiful, beautiful pills. Yeah. Boil them, mash them, put them in a put stew. Them in a stew. <laughs> uh, yeah, we sometimes hide them in Ian's craft dinner so he eats them without getting picky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting craftier. Every now and then I find them, and I yeah, I just I, I eat around it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the main caveat here is it's only been done in rats so far. Yeah. So there's still a ways to go before we know it works in humans. But this is, I mean, this is something that's been pursued at for pursued for a pretty long time in the mm-hmm. field of insulin, I suppose. Yeah. Is is making it so it's not quite so. Yeah. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? invasive yeah invasive and impractical we know how to treat it it's just super inconvenient and like Mm -hmm. i know you can be like you know we can all sit here and be like wow your health is important all you gotta do is take care of your health man i forget to take stuff all the time like we're all yeah we're all terrible with this let's not i forget forget to fucking eat lunch sometimes man yeah Yeah, no i'm like awful so this is totally understandable and and Mm -hmm. yeah i don't want to i wouldn't want to inject myself with things constantly like i'm sure it's well and it's not the same as like sticking a needle in your arm it's like they're little they're more like pricks i think than a you know tying off the you know heroin arm or whatever but like in severe cases people actually have like a pump that is attached to them at all times yeah Yeah, i've seen that yeah, they have them. They have arm ones. They have like stomach ones, and it's literally just like like they have a remote control, and they just like stick a an insulin yeah. package in it, and they're like, okay, I have to administer my insulin, and so they're like constantly stuck by a needle, and that's only usually in severe cases, but like that is the solution to the inconvenience of having to remember to jab yourself all the time is to just be jabbed constantly. Every every day we take one step closer to being a cyborg, and I'm so here for it. <laughs> I do have one other thing I want to talk about, which is. Because for me, thinking about it, they talk about the problem is you take a pill and it gets dissolved by the stomach acid, it breaks down the insulin, the insulin's useless. Mm-hmm. How, how did they solve that problem? Because like, they obviously they didn't coat the pill with something to prevent it from breaking down in the stomach acid because the pill still needs to dissolve, right? So well, they used, they used co- covalent organic frameworks. Yeah, well, it's not terribly well explained, in my opinion, but the gist of it... That is the one downside of the article, is that the... I I get that it's a small nanoparticle insulin thing. Yeah, it it reads like the the nanoparticles are what makes up the pill, and they break off, and they're almost like like balloons or Golgi bodies or something like that that's inside of it is the insulin. Yeah. That is my... Those tiny nanoparticles are what can't be broken down, and so when it gets into the intestines and into the system... And yeah, they're and surrounded then somehow, by yeah. And then somehow the nanoparticles respond to lower insulin levels in the blood, and that's what breaks them down. Yeah, that that's uh, like this is incredible technology. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they don't respond to lower insulin. They respond to higher sugar. Higher sugar. Okay, that makes yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah. But so still... they basically, what whatever is holding these insulin nanoparticles, it's like it encounters sugar, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna release this, which is why. It's actually really useful. They mention uh, uh, insulin overdoses are a thing that can happen, and this actually prevents that because yeah. as the sugar, in, this this nanoparticle encounters the sugar and it releases the insulin, which gets rid of the sugar, and then there's less and less sugar, so it's no longer activating these insulin particles. So instead of just having way too much insulin and now you've destroyed all the sugar and you still got insulin left over, the less and less sugar there is, there's no more reaction. Yeah, it, I think it's so dope. cool. It's, yeah. 
I mean, it, it doesn't say that it's nanomachines, nanobots, but I'm but assuming it that it is nanobots and that this is, again, just... An, who knew it would be insulin that takes us, again, another step closer yeah. to being... Really, what you're doing is you're you're swallowing a bunch of tiny nanobots that are horny for sugar. I'm at the point in my life where I I might actually have to go and buy socks for myself. That's... And I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm I'm I need a new set of underwear. Who's <laughs> wearing underwear in lockdown? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I like I like to I like to put on like actual going out clothes because it makes me feel like I'm not <laughs> wasting my life. <laughs> Are you cosplaying going outside? <laughs> Some days he'll just put on a suit and tie and just stare. No, out the but like I'll put on and jeans and and yeah. a shirt and be like, because I'm I, if I just sit around in my PJs all day every day, yeah, I yeah. feel I feel useless. Who the gross. hell is using PJs in a lockdown? <laughs> You know, man, you seen like wedding stories, like for the upcoming wedding. I have a bridesmaid's dress. It's arrived. Uh, is it your Is it your wedding, Kyle? Yes, congratulations. It's my wedding. Thank you. That's, that's bold of you to wear a bridesmaid's dress to your own wedding. That's yes. Be... Uh, well, I'm actually I'm wearing a bridesmaid's dress, and all the bridesmaids are wearing wedding dresses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, subvert expectations. It's a really expensive wedding for them. You know, like the bridal party has to already pay for a lot of stuff. And now I'm making them all wear like a $3,000 gown. It's a lot. Oh, so Kyle's an asshole. <laughs> Weddings suck. Yeah. Weddings are terrible, terrible things. Yeah. I No, I disagree. I, there is a science to crafting a good wedding. And I'm going to share that with you as someone who has never been married. But I have attended many weddings and I can tell you... Uh, the secret is is twofold. One, the food is more important than everything else at the wedding. Yep, agree. Yep. Like, yeah, it's your mm. day, but if you want people to be enjoying it and having a good time, you want good food and you want it available as soon as possible. Um, the other thing that's really important is to never, under any circumstances, let parents give a speech. At any point? At any point. Okay. Parents unilaterally give terrible speeches. Nobody gives a fuck about how your kid did in grade five history, which is what they'll get up there and start talking about all the A's they got. No, you want siblings. Siblings give baller speeches. Weddings are exercises in burning money. Diamond rings, dresses, you gotta rent places, spend all the money on the food. Everything else, keep it low-key, and everyone's going to be happy. You're going to be happier. The guests are going to be happier. Don't get a DJ. Use an iPhone. No. Oh, God, no. Your second your second biggest expense should be Spotify Premium. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this has been uh, wedding advice from three people who honestly should not be giving advice about this. And by three people, I mean mostly Alan and myself. <laughs> yeah. I was just laughing at your parents' speech thing because when Matthew got married, my mom showed off an art project that my brother made in tenth grade. <laughs> yeah, and and how many people and how many people cared? None of them. Our second article of the day comes from the British Ecological Society. Forest on caffeine, coffee waste can boost forest recovery. So I got an immediate problem with the title. Yep. Uh, this is some of it's right. Coffee waste is being used to to increase the rate at which forests are regrown in Costa Rica. Has nothing to do with caffeine. 
And I know why. I know it has nothing to do with caffeine because I went to the article and I control F caffeine and it doesn't appear. There is literally no mention of caffeine in the actual paper. So I, I thought at first it was like, oh, you've somehow, somehow the trees are intaking caffeine and that's giving them like a, I don't know, caffeine rush, which is making them grow faster. I know I'm... that's stupid in hindsight, but that was like <laughs> the initial, but that was the initial process that I suspect me and everyone else reading that title went on. I really energizing those trees to get down to business and start growing, getting those apical meristems going. Caffeine makes humans do things faster, so therefore it must make trees go faster. It, it's, it's the logical conclusion. I just yeah. thought they were trying to be pithy and relatable. And I think they are, but everyone's going to read that and think that it's the caffeine that's making, that's like doing yeah. the effect and it's not. Yeah, no, in it's fact, definitely, yeah. Not 100% sure what is doing the effect. This is another one of those where I'm not 100% clear on the why of, even though I read the paper on this one, even, it's, I'm not even sure they know. I, I, I can offer some insight onto this actually. I, yeah. Okay. Go for, okay. Can let's, let's about... talk about what they did first. Let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. So this is, this is in Costa Rica. Um, Costa Rica is a, a beautiful, beautiful country. And like any other part of sort of Central, South America, uh, tons and tons of forestation that's being removed mostly because of farming, not exclusively, but mostly to create like... Well, in this case, ironically, for coffee farming. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And, And sometimes for like, like just everything, like, um, cattle, just everything, like the rainforest is being... And you're creating farmland. So they're trying to regrow the forest. Sorry, can you make that sound again? Um, (laughs) Costa Rica's... No, shut up. Costa Rica's really, <laughs> Costa Rica's really like ecologically active. Like they're very aware that this is their primary resource, especially from a tourism point of view. And they are pretty dedicated, far more than any other country, probably anywhere, but especially in that region, that's like really dedicated to promoting ecology. And so they're, they're trying to figure out ways to to regrow these forests, create conservation areas. But it, growing trees takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Trees aren't the fastest growing things in the world, so they're trying to speed it up. You heard it so here they... first. Yeah. Okay. So last last article was all Kyle and diabetes. This is my wheelhouse. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a small wheelhouse, but this is in it. <laughs> so they dumped a whole bunch of coffee grounds because coffee grounds organic material. It's essentially like compost. We'll get into more detail about that, but it's you know it's same premise. They dumped a whole bunch of coffee grounds, thinking we're already getting this coffee waste from all the coffee we're growing. Might as well stick it back on the ground. And this coffee waste really increased the rate at which these trees grow. Let me get you the numbers here. Um, it's like 80%, only, isn't it? After only two years, the, cof- the coffee pulp-treated area had 80% canopy cover compared to 20% in the control area. And the trees were four times taller than that of the control area. Mm-hmm. So bigger, faster trees with more canopy cover, so more like leaf, more branching, tr- uh, well, branches, yeah. stuff like that. More branching branches. <laughs> That's the good news. Yeah, I mean, this is all good news. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no caveat here. But well, there is, there is, there is like they, they do talk about how this was, this is just a first study, and they need to go to other locations and try it there. And there's limitations, but it's not like oh, the catch is the trees are now addicted to coffee. They need to confirm that this is applicable in other areas, but it looks promising in this one area. There is limitations because there's not, you can't really take a dump truck full of coffee waste everywhere. But like, if there's other places that ways they can apply the coffee then this is really really promising for the future as to the why this is so effective ian we cut to ian so we get to ian i did uh a, a, a contract out in muskoka with a very similar kind of concept uh the problem was calcium decline and they essentially took a waste product and 
spread it out on the soil and noticed that that caused the calcium in the soil to increase. Uh, the waste product in this case being uh, wood ash. Like so burnt, you burn a tree and then you spread that ash around and the other trees in the area suddenly have more calcium. Trees use calcium for the same thing we do. It's like bone structure. Except, well, not bones, but... Yeah, not bones. <laughs> no, the but like the structure of a tree. Um, so I, it, it doesn't surprise me to learn that, you know, areas, especially areas that are being devastated and, and cu- cultivated to grow, like, coffee, if you take that waste and re-spread it in that area, you're essentially reseeding it with whatever is being mm-hmm. absorbed to make the coffee in the first place. You're, you're not getting the caffeine, probably, because the caffeine is what we want yeah. in yeah. our bodies, so that's what we're filtering, you know, trying to filter out. But, like, all the nutrients, all the stuff required to grow the beans, all of the, yeah. you know, the, the <clears throat> probably the calcium, the, the carbon, the nitrogen, all those things that are typically found in, in plants it's probably still in there, not to the same extent, obviously, that it would be when it's first formed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even if you're increasing by 30-40%, that's still, still 30-40% see... more that the trees now have access to. And you can still see massive changes from that. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the wood, for the example, the wood ash that they were using only recontributed, it was only 30% calcium in the, in the wood ash, but that was still more than enough calcium to stimulate the... the the health of that environment mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't surprise me at all to learn that they it, it's essentially the same process it's all, i don't think it's all specifically calcium i think but, in this case they mentioned carbon nitrogen and phosphorus were elevated phosphorus. in the coffee okay. pulp treated areas from my background in environmental science the, the rate limiting nutrients in terms of plant growth are always nitrogen and phosphorus which just yeah, means those are the ones that are always like the, the, the trees and the plants and whatever's growing is always at a lack of those two. So the more you give them, the faster they're going to grow. That's essentially what um, fertilizer is, is nitrogen and phosphorus. Yeah. I'm and surprised you said carbon, because I, I don't think of carbon as a nutrient for plants. I mean, it's it's what it's they're entirely involved. based yeah, on. Yeah, but they get, that out of the, they get that out of the air, though. And I, and I think to your point about, like, you know, it's not necessarily as much uh, of these nutrients that were in the soil originally. What They're, they're not saying that, you know, this... So the the coffee pulp treated area had 80% more canopy cover compared to the control area. Uh, If it was an area that hadn't been used for agricultural land at all, like that's all that's already going to have more nutrients available in the soil and it's going to have way more like cover uh, canopy cover already. So it's like compared to an area that has been completely stripped clean of its nutrients, giving any nutrients back is going to have this increased effect. Whereas if you didn't touch it at all, you have like the beautiful forests of Costa Rica where that haven't been touched at all. My, I think my understanding of this is that it doesn't necessarily have to be coffee pulp. There's not something specifically chemical within the coffee pulp that's making this more effective. It's just got the nutrients that it needs and it's being laid out in such a way that it's blocking the invasive species and or not so much invasive, but it's blocking the other plants that you don't want there. The benefit, yeah, the benefit to using coffee in this scenario is that coffee is something that is already cultured in Costa Rica and they have these coffee byproducts that they have to pay a lot of money to process and get rid of. So you might as well dump them on land that has been stripped of its nutrients and you're no longer using for coffee agriculture. You can now return it to forest generation. It's, but it's theoretically, the ex- theoretically, you could just take 
Anything. good soil, yeah. high quality soil, and yeah. do the same thing with yeah. it, in theory, would work. It's, yeah. it's, but this is just using but, something you already have. And yeah, don't exactly. Want. It's yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's a they call it a win win because you're you're taking the waste from the coffee you're growing, putting it back into the environment, and then using that to regrow the forest. So everybody's happy. Our third article of the day comes from Psych News Daily. Parole officer empathy training leads to a 13% drop in parolees reoffending rates. Did my voice crack in parole? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so this is also, uh, these have been really good papers this week. I like all these papers, and they're all, like, optimistic. I don't think there's much of a caveat on this either. Like, this is just... This I had is... one issue with this paper. Okay, well, we will get to that. Yeah. I, I had an issue with this paper, too. Can you guess what it was? <laughs> uh, possibly. Ian, what journal is this from? Hey, it's your favorite. It's your boy, PNAS. Look out. Here comes the it's, penis. It's the penis <laughs> paper. We haven't had one of these in ages. I'm really glad Ian was on it for this one as well. <laughs> Uh, it's just, I, what does it stand for? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Proceedings of the Natural Academy of Science. Yeah, and it, it, the abbreviation is PNAS, and it's great. Uh, this is a, uh, 10-month long study, so it's, I, I don't know, what's, what's the definition of longitudinal? When do you start calling a paper longitudinal? I googled. Is this longitudinal, 10 months? I don't think so. It could no, be. It's, I don't know I when. I think it's gotta be longer well, than that. Yeah, longitudinal is just a fancy word for long term, and I don't know what officially oh. is like the border mm-hmm. of long term uh-oh oh caused surprised by something that's not good this would not be a longitudinal study because longitudinal study isn't determined by the length but it's uh determined by repeated observations of the same variables over a period oh. of time okay yeah so it's know? it's the it's the movie boyhood <laughs> okay if they if they tested <laughs> if they tested at 10 months and then again at 12 months and then again at 14 months like if they did the exact same data set and tested it again and again over a period of time then it becomes longitudinal uh but you could do that over like a two-month period or over like a 10-year period you just have to test the same thing over and over again i'm going to tell you this right now if you describe a longitudinal to a longitudinal study as long term no one's going to say you're wrong no well, one no, in well no theoretically one in the world. I guess this one person who wrote this Google article, but like it's. Alan is claiming right now that there isn't a single person on the internet who will get who won't. There's there's no one on the internet who will get pissed off about about saying something wrong. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying no one's going to give you a hard time about this because no one cares. Get at him in the comments. Um, (laughs) tweet at Alan. Anyways, so this is this was this is about parole. Parole, I, do we need to go into what a parole is? Parole is just you've been, I, I guess I'm doing if, it anyways. If, yeah, if you're imprisoned and you get out, you get end up on parole, which is basically just a period of, you know, there's a parole officer keeping an eye on you and you need to follow a certain set of rules. And if you break them, you can get arrested for them. Yeah. And there's the issue with it. And again, this is uh, U.S. is that it's often just you're, you, you go to jail, you get out, and then you're just on a path back to jail. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a parole officer, which then is like looking at, is essentially doing the monitoring, so to speak, and, and making sure that you're doing all the right things. You're not don't have to go back to jail. But in theory, we want people to, to not go back to jail, mm-hmm. but a the, lot of people do. Yeah, the purpose of a parole officer is supposed to be to to help people, like you know, find work and and to check in with them to make sure that they're still following the rules of their parole. And ideally, the role of a parole officer is to to basically help people on that path so that they don't go back to prison but i th- guess that they found is that a lot of times um parole officers may sort of kind of group blame people and sort of just i, I mean they get cynical and jaded 
and sort of start to see it as like, oh, these people are just on a path back to prison and I'm just kind of an intermediary step until they reoffend. And so the goal of this study was to basically give them empathy training to help them stop seeing these these groups of parolees as as other and people who are likely to reoffend, which allows them to to basically through this training be more effective at doing the job that they are supposed to do, which decreased the amount of uh, reoffenses by their parolees. And I, I'm not going to give parole officers a hard time. This got to be a hard job. It's got it's to suck. It's got to be a super hard job. And and this the whole premise of this is that they're not targeting the offenders. They're targeting the parole officers and trying to essentially... Well, it's called an empathy exercise. I don't want to. I don't want to imply that it's trying to get the parole officers more empathy because I don't want to imply that they're doing like a bad job. Like I'm sure some of them are. But I'm sure some of them do good, uh, trying their best. But yet, like we the, said, the, it's the tough. criminal yeah, the criminal justice system has massive systemic issues. No, the criminal justice system sucks pretty much anywhere you are and is full of systemic issues and is quite bad in the U.S. And it leads, basically, it, it invites people to reoffend. And the goal of parole officers is to sort of reduce that. But because of this just systemic problem where people are constantly reoffending, they're obviously going to be, you know, it's a tough job and they're going to be, you know, eventually disengaged or, or more cynical about it. And so this was sort of an attempt to tackle one of these systemic issues with the hope that it would reduce uh, reoffenses. So, so you guys want to know something uh, really kind of weird? Uh, I was subletting a house uh, living with a parole officer. There you go. <laughs> like someone who works as a parole officer, not my parole officer. I would never live with them. Um, <laughs> but living with someone who is a, who is a parole officer, and I kind of got, uh, you know, got to pick her brain a little bit because she's in a very different echo chamber for me, and I thought that was mm-hmm. really exciting and interesting. Um, That's actually dope as hell. Tell us yeah. everything. Uh, but one of the things... Uh, I did get first of all you were right it is a very tough job and it is very much about you know assessing whether a person is is ready to to go out to the world and to contribute and to be a member of society and um there is kind of like a a a, per, a professional judgment on that like you've got to be able to have someone come in and you work with that person, you work with that uh, inmate, that individual quite a lot. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, having the ability to empathize, I can really see that as being a, a, a boon to helping communicate with that person. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, well. So this, it was called an empathy exercise. And this is, well, well, perhaps this is the same problem you had with it. My one problem with this, and it's both the article and the paper, they don't go into a lot of detail about what the exercise is. Yeah. Is that your problem with it as well? Uh, no, my problem okay. with it is actually really dumb. <laughs> okay. Well, my problem with it is that, like, I, I went through the paper and the article, and neither of them really gave a good explanation of what yeah. the exercise was. Yeah. It was only 30 minutes, which is really surprising me that you could do something that quickly with 30 minutes. Uh, the only thing I really got from it is it... it they gave them asked, a lunch and learn. Essentially, ask the officers <laughs> to respond to questions such as, why is it important for parolees and probationers, i.e. people on probation, thanks for that, to feel value and respected? So it's just it's just getting... To, I guess it's getting the parole officers to see the parolees as more human? Well, that's essentially... The, the idea... It says in the article, the idea was to make them less likely to collectively gra- uh, blame an outgroup individual for the acts of their group. So basically... When you are working with an individual parolee, 
You need to think of that, think of their position, you need to be empathetic to their scenario and not just say, because you are a criminal, you are going to act this way because a lot of, I mean, because it's, it's got to be hard. Like you said, Ian, like they're working with these people one-on-one -on -one and it's got to feel personal at times when someone reoffends. And so it's, it's the goal of it was to basically say, hey, just because one of your parolees in the past reoffended or because a lot of them have doesn't mean they're all going to and your chances of being an effective parole officer are increased is if, if you look at this person as an individual separate from the group of people that you typically deal with and you just take the the time to be empathetic to their situation and and remember the goal of your role like it's it's basically just getting them back to to basics to to be able to do their job more effectively not that they're not doing it effectively already but like you know it's just it's it's a hard job it's gotta suck yeah kyle what's your issue <laughs> it's with this? super dumb good that's what we were hoping for there's too many quotations Everything is in quotation marks. Like there's But you don't not like not like it's quotes, like it's it's the finger quotes, right? Yeah, th yeah. that's like, like technically speaking what they're doing is they're directly quoting the article, which is why they're doing this. But it just comes across as them being like one was empathic supervision intervention described below. The other was control or, or a placebo intervention. <laughs> yeah, you're it right. Just, the whole that... thing read to me like they were using quotation fingers because Yeah, yeah. Like the other was a control or, or a placebo. Ooh, bum, what a bum, word bum. that is. And that's all the time we have today. If you'd like to talk to our pro officers, then check us out on Twitter at rsciencepod. That's O-U-R-SciencePod on Twitter. If you'd like to read the articles we talked about, then you can look in the description of this episode. We've got all the links there, so you can check them out yourselves. If you'd like to make any comments or questions about what we talked about after you've read those articles, then you can do so. Feel free to, to message us on Twitter. Twitter's the best place. And don't forget to uh, like, comment, subscribe, wherever it is you're listening. Uh, I just watched Randall Grishik hit a home run. That makes me very happy. I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the home run, so I need someone to validate Absolute me on Twitter. Absolute no Say doubt nice it things. is straightaway center. Real happy about that. For Ian and Kyle, I was your host, Alan Collier, and we'll see you in two weeks. Go fuck yourself, Alan. Okay. <laughs> Have a lovely evening, Alan. I, it's a callback to the beginning when you were different. I get it now. <laughs> yeah.